through the double doors, we have a welcome center, and there someone will be able to greet you. If you have any questions about a ministry here, or maybe how we do worship, or anything that you're just uncertain about or have a question, they'll be able to answer it. And also just thank you on a personal level for coming out to our church, and you get a gift, so definitely check that out. I have a few announcements today. The first one is we are doing our annual Angel Tree Outreach, and so what that is is we, um, it's a ministry that incarcerated parents, we get to give gifts to their children on their behalf. So you go and you pick up the angel and you go out and you buy the gifts for the child, a boy or a girl, and then you bring them back here in a few weeks. And then it's it's um, giving a gift for the from the parents' point of view. So if that's something that you're interested in, it's a great ministry. And that is at the table right next to Connect Grow Surf. So check that out. And then the other announcement I have is we have our annual ladies cookie exchange. And that is on December 7th at 7 o'clock. And this you have to get a ticket for. So go to Connect Grow Serve. And then we're doing it a little different this year. We're going to have it at different ladies homes. And this is a great time just to meet new women. So if you maybe um, are a little lonely or just are looking for some new friends, it's a great place to be able to do that. And you get cookies, which is always fun. So definitely go and check that out at Connect Grow Serve. We do tithes and offerings, a little different here at Jubilee. Instead of passing buckets through the rows, we just have boxes at the back of the sanctuary and out in the foyer. So let's just pray for that right now. God, we just thank you so much that you are just so worthy to be praised, Father God, and that we get to come here on a Saturday night. And truly, God, that we are thankful for you and for the lives and that you have given us, Father. So we just give you the service, Father, and I just ask that you would have your way. And I just pray over the tithes and the offerings, Lord, that it would just be able to bless people, Father God, and that it would just affect um many people, Lord, and we just thank you so much for all that you're doing inside the lives of this church, Lord Jesus, and we just give you the glory for tonight. In your name, amen. Uh, it's great to see everybody. My name is Jonathan Murley. I'm the Global Missions Pastor. Campuses, it's great to see you all this weekend as well. Uh, we have a very special treat for us this weekend. We have Paul and Susie Childers that are here from Kona, Hawaii, from YWAM and Kona, Hawaii. They are, are with us uh, speaking this weekend. Uh, Paul and Susie have a ministry called Voice for the Voiceless. And uh, we were just talking uh, earlier in the service, earlier before the service, that between them, they have ministered in over 100 countries, 100 countries around the world. You know, I got a full passport, and I've been to 30 countries, and that's I just, it's beyond imagination. But we are so excited to have them here this weekend. Paul is originally from New Zealand, so he's got a, just a really cool accent. If you don't catch anything else, you'll catch that he's got a cool accent. But really, the, the star of the show, I mean, he, he really likes to think that he is, but we really know... Who is the star of the show? And that's his wife, his wife, Susie. And Susie is from Germany. And they have just a wonderful ministry with their family to the nations. They, uh, they suffer for Jesus in Kona, Hawaii most of the time. But uh, they are really, really special, uh, special friends of JFC, uh, not only at a church level, but also to, uh, to us, to, to my wife and I. So would you give at every campus, would you give a JFC welcome to Paul and Susie Childers from YWAM? Thank you, guys.
Thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for that warm welcome. I want to say aloha. aloha. It is so good to be back at JFC. And uh, it's just such a blessing to be back here. First of all, at the beginning of the message, we just wanted to say thank you. The partnership of JFC with us in YWAM and around the world, really, and in Kona, has just been such a blessing for us personally. We thank you for your support um, for us over the years, as well as sending teams. I know that many of the men have come from this um, church to help us build our campus in Kona, Hawaii. And uh, I tell you what, it has been a huge blessing to have that uh, partnership and so we just want to also thank you for releasing your young people. We had Kyle Leach with us recently. He was awesome. Yeah. Give him a shout out to Kyle. And uh, was just a part of our um, DTS that wrapped up um, in September. And so we just want to say thank you. Right at the start, um, we just are deeply appreciative of all that um, JFC has done with us and partnered with us over the, over the years. And it's a huge blessing to be able to be back here again at this Thanksgiving weekend. So this evening, what we're going to do is a little bit of tag teaming. Um, so Paul and Susie tag teaming. So Susie will take over now, and you'll hear from me a little bit later on. My great joy to be with you. And of course, I have an accent too. Coming from <laughs> Germany, you can I cannot hide it. <laughs> so and I have the Kiwi language there too, and everything connected. Um, so I hope you understand me. I don't need a translator. As you can tell, I'm a photographer by trade. I've been called to be in missions as a photographer. And God has given us a really specific call. He gave me those words from um, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, where it says, Speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up for what you know is right. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That has become my calling over the last 16 years, not by choice, but by a very clear leading of God. And I try to give people a voice that are not heard in our world today because our world is loud. And there are so many things happening and we don't really want to hear those that suffer. And so we try to give them a voice. We try to connect the potential of people who can do something but don't know about them with those that suffer in silence. That's more or less the ministry that we have developed over the years. We're training young people to multiply this work so that more and more people can go out and make a difference in this world today. We have a family. We also have three kids. They're hopefully enjoying church downstairs. Um, uh, we brought a picture of them. There's Levi, he's seven. Elisa is almost five, four and a half, she always says. And then there is Gabriel Joy. She's uh, one and a half years old. We are a team in missions. It's not just mommy and daddy, but we see ourselves as a team. So we take our kids along as often as we can, and we try to make, make them understand uh, what we are doing. And so I want to encourage all the families that are wondering, how is that working with God? God has a way. If he has given you kids and he has given you a calling, those two things are not fighting each other, but they can go together. You just need to figure it out. So, voice for the voiceless, I would like to start reading a passage of scripture as we start this service. And it's um, a passage that is very old, from the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah. It's actually the heart of the season, 
the heart of the Christmas season. Why did Jesus really come? This gives us an answer. Isaiah 61, 1, 2, 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release the prisoners from darkness, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. So let's break that down a little bit. What does it say? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me and he is on you. It's not any spirit. You know, Hindus believe in 33 million gods. We know the only one spirit is the Holy Spirit. And that spirit lives in each one of us if we have, have accepted Jesus in our lives. So we carry the most creative being in us. And that spirit um, is the one power that drives us to do the work of God. So we are anointed. And it says we are. It's a fact. It's not something that's going to have to happen in the future. As soon as we have received Christ in our lives, we are anointed. We don't have to wait until we get a certain degree, until we have finished the Bible school, until we have done our education, until the kids get out of house, out of the house. No, we are anointed. It's a fact to do God's great works wherever we are. It's on me, it's on you, it's on all of us. It's not a question, maybe, but it's, it's a fact. And we are all equipped for the work that God has for each one of our lives. We don't need to thrive. It's all in us. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has anointed me. Realize that's past tense. It has already happened. We don't have to, you know, work for it. God has anointed each one of us to proclaim the good news. And how do you know you are anointed? It's unless you step out and do things, dare to do things that you're not familiar with. Unless you do that, you don't know that you're anointed. I had this one experience where I was invited to Harvard University to speak there. Now, you need to know that I have never seen a university from inside. I don't have a university degree. I don't have a resume. It's quite uh, challenging when people want to introduce me because there's not much to say about me. <laughs> so I always use the 67 nations I have gone to which makes a bit of, you know, shows off a little bit. But here I was at Harvard University. I hadn't slept that night. I was very nervous. They walked me through the Hall of Fame. And here was Bill Clinton and Yasser Arafat and Dalai Lama. And I thought, hmm, my picture is most probably never going to hang here. <laughs> you know, who am I that I would be invited? We came to the place where I was about to speak. The person who had invited me took me aside and said, I just want you to know that this is the place where we train the future prime ministers and uh, leaders of the nations. And all I could think of was, thank you so much for putting even more pressure on me. <laughs> I'm already so nervous. And here I walked in, and I had an hour to speak, and then about half an hour of question and answers. And I was horrified. I thought, if they figure out that I have no knowledge, that I'm not educated like they are, my whole story will mean nothing to them. But you know, God is so faithful in those places. The few questions they could ask me, I had long answers, was the few things I really knew something about. There was one guy who asked me about a goddess in Nepal, and funny enough, I had been 
in Nepal and I had even visited that little goddess and I knew everything about her because she had so touched my life that I thought I want to know who she is. And I could give them a whole lecture on who that girl was and they were all so amazed about my knowledge and understanding. And I was never asked about anything I had, you know, studied in my life. And I walked out of that room and I smiled and I thought, God is so good. You know, he, he equips us for the tasks he has put in front of us. He has anointed me. But I didn't know that until I dared to step out. So I want to encourage you to try out this anointing that God has put into your life and do things that you're not familiar to do. That's how you find out. Then after we realize that we are anointed and that God has given us everything we need, there's a list of people who suffer in this passage. The Lord has anointed me to pray, proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release the prisoners from darkness. Who are the poor? Who are those people? They say there's a billion people malnourished in our world today. There are many people who live under a dollar a day, but they don't really live around me. I don't really have neighbors that live under a dollar a day. Some environment, you know, some environment sometimes think they have less than a dollar to spend. But you know, we're always having enough food. We always have a place to sleep. So, so how do you do this? How do you preach the good news to the poor? Well, I asked myself this question. Who are the poor and how do I meet them? And I found myself on a journey to South Africa. I had a privilege to stay with two AIDS orphans. At the age of 12 and 15, they had lost their parents due to AIDS. There was no other adult family member in the whole entire family, and so they were left to themselves. They had given me a list of food I should buy to bring, and I, I didn't like it because the list was ridiculous long, and there was enough food that I had to buy for three months at least for all of us to eat. And I thought, this is just too much. But I was obedient. I bought everything, huge, you know, bags full of, of food. And when I arrived there, I was shocked. There was no water, no running water in the house. There was um, a TV, but no screen. They had cell phones, but no money to put on it. There was only electricity, maybe once a day, maybe one hour, maybe two hours. They could never rely on it. They had one bed, the two girls, and they wanted me to stay in that bed. While I had an air mattress with me, because I was prepared. But they forced me to stay in their bed, and they, they were so excited that I would come to visit. The first morning we sat and had breakfast together, and I crumbled. It was white toast bread, no flavor. It was a jelly that had never seen any fruit, only colored water. There was a bit of margarine and a black tea, no milk, nothing. And I was grumbling, eating my breakfast, not with, a, not with a thankful heart. When Pinky, the older of the two girls, said, this feels like Christmas. And I said, what do you mean it feels like Christmas? I said, oh, this morning is just like Christmas. Nothing made me feel like Christmas. I thought, what do you mean? So I asked back and again, can you explain this to me? And she said to me, well, we have something to eat. And I said, what do you normally have for breakfast? And she said to me, we never have breakfast. These are the poor people in our world. They don't even have enough food to eat. And it was simple to share the good news with them. It was just out of, 
eating, sitting over a breakfast, talking about God, talking about who Jesus is. It was very simple to share the good news with the poor. And you know what? Whenever I have met poor people in the world, it felt like they were already ready and, and prepared from God to receive Jesus. You know, they had not much to hope for in their lives. So me coming in and talking to them about God, just, it just fit. And most of them right at the spot would receive Jesus. So the poor are the first ones that I mentioned in that list. The second ones are the brokenhearted. I am not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a photographer. How do I relate to people who are brokenhearted? I'm not that soft kind of a person. I like adventures. And so I found myself this year in Nigeria in April. And uh, I had heard about persecuted Christians, the persecuted church in the northern part of Nigeria. And I, I said, okay, I want to visit them. I want to encourage them. I want to tell them that they are not forgotten. I want to hear their stories and record them. So I came to a, a village called Dokonahara, where um, in 2010, a massacre happened. At 3 o'clock at night, um, people woke up with the sounds of guns and fire and loud voices and the sounds and the shouts of Allah Akbar, and they realized something was wrong. In three hours, 501 people were killed in one go. One of the women that I met was Polina. Polina, there should be a picture up there. Polina was a, a woman that wouldn't was speak at the beginning. I asked her, how many children do, do you have? And she didn't answer. And I thought she didn't understand me, but she was grumbling. And finally, she said, I have four. And I said, can you tell me your story? And she told me that she woke up in the middle of the night and she heard the shouts and she, she knew something was wrong. She, she woke up her kids. She put her little one on her, on her back and they ran into the bush. And as they were running, they heard that the attackers were coming closer. And she realized they were not fast enough. So she told her kids to run into the bush. She took her little one and put the little one on her front. She turned around and ran into the arms of the attackers to save the lives of, of her children. She was cut down with a machete, machete um, with a knife, big knife. She was cut down. She still has a scar on her head. And she was left dead. They found her, they took her to the hospital, they saved her life. The first thing when she woke up, the first question she asked was, how are my children? And they had to tell her that out of her seven children, three had been killed. And it hit my heart so deeply because I'm also a mother and I had three miscarriages. And I had lost three children too. Very different situation, much less painful, yet for me, very painful, and much less painful than what Polina went through. And in an instant, God connected us women from total different backgrounds, different parts of the world, different walks of life, and made us one. And for the first time, this difficult experiences in my life started to be redeemed for God. And it was beautiful to see that even though I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, God still used me, used my own life story, my painful life story to minister to this woman. And we were able to minister to each other. 
So when God calls you to go to the brokenhearted, you know, it's a matter of heart. Jesus in us is enough. As long as Jesus lives in us, we're equipped, anointed to be able to talk and, and bring um, confidence to people that are living in sorrow and pain. The next one in the list is to proclaim freedom to the captives. So how do you do this? Who are captive people anyway? I had no idea what I should think about this. Who are the captive people around us maybe? Where are they and how do you bring freedom to them? It was also in Nigeria, in the southern part of Nigeria, where I met a wonderful young man, 22 years old. His name is George. He, is there a picture? Yeah. Look at him. Great smile. Nice 22-year-old. When I saw him, I didn't think anything of his past. But we sat down and he started to tell me that he belonged to a militant group um, that had risen up um, in the 1970s because of the oil that was found, the corruption that was taking place. And those young people had no weapons, no money, so they gave themselves to the devil. They were drinking blood of people and they were trying to do black magic in order to get power. And he said, by the age of nine, I had no choice. I was part of a militant group. And all these years, he was killing people, drinking their blood to get power, and had a horrible childhood. Um, but he was met by some wirewormers, and it was an amazing journey of transformation that he experienced in his life. And when I met him, he walked around with a big Bible under his arm. He had just learned how to read and write, and he was so excited that he was able, actually, to educate himself on the matters of God. He was captive. He was a captive to a, a mindset that um, had kept him years and years in captivity. The enemy had taken a hold of his life. As we were talking, they always talked about an area where it was really dangerous to go and where lots of young people were caught in this militant conflict. And I said one day, you know, I have heard now too much. Let's go and, and go into this area. I'd like to see it. And they told me it's too dangerous. And I said, there is no place in God that is too dangerous. If we're in the center of God's will, this is the safest place on earth. And so finally they took me. Six big militants came along. They set me in the middle of the car that, so that no one could pull open a door and pull me out. Um, and so we drove uh, to this place, Okrika, and it was a dark place. We went into a slum area. They placed some of the militants and strategic places. And as I look back, I realized it must be a dangerous place. We went to someone's house. Um, there was a lady who had been healed of AIDS because some people had prayed, of, prayed for her. And I thought, it's a good story. Let's do a little movie on her. And as I was filming, someone walked up the stairs and into the whole scene. And I'm thinking, oh, no. So I did like this to him and did like this, stop. And I went back behind my camera and I thought, what did I just do? These are militant young people. These are not the nice young people. He could kill me for that. I'm white. On my you know, forehead is written, I have a ransom. Kidnap me. It's worthwhile. I'm white. You know, Someone is going to pay some money for me to be freed. And I thought, oh, no, we better get ready. So I saw him. I watched him out of the angle of my eye. He stood there for a while. He walked down the stairs again. And I saw George running after him. I thought, I better finish this whole thing. I wrapped it up. 
I looked down and I saw them talking on being on the phone and I thought, oh man, we better get out of this. And so I was about to finish everything when George came running up the stairs and said, Susie, my friend is here. He's the one who said to me, if I stay and remain a Christian for more than three months, he wants to become one of them. And I thought, wow, great. Have you talked to him about Christ? He said, no, I want you to talk to him. And I'm like, me? And before I could say anything, he ran down and he came back. And guess what? It was the same guy. And he looked really fierce. There's a picture of him. And I was scared when I looked into his eyes. And I was never trained in YOM how to deal with this kind of young people. Killers and cannibals and all those young people I had never related to. And so I sit next to him and I said, um, you're making good choices these days. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and he said, hmm. And I said, I guess you're making a lot of bad choices. And he says, hmm. And I said, do you want to change this? And he says, hmm. I've done too many bad things. And I started to share with him a very simple gospel message. You know, the gospel is simple. It's not difficult. Anyone uneducated can understand it. And I talked for about maybe 10 minutes, and I thought, this is not taking me anywhere. So I finally said, you know what? Do you want to have a change of heart? Do you want Jesus to come into your heart and change your actions? And he looked at me, and he said, okay. And I was so shocked. I wasn't ready for that. And I turned to Promise, and I said, Promise, could you please pray for him? And Promise took his chance, and he prayed a beautiful prayer, just came out himself of this, and he prayed a beautiful prayer. I had a prophetic word, and I prayed that over his life, and I said, amen, and I looked to my militant friends, and I said, what are we going to do with him? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, we're going to have to teach him how to live. He has no concept of what it means to be a Christian. And they looked at each other, and they said in, in one voice, all of them, DTS, the discipleship training course. That was the only thing they knew. And I said, well, your DTS has, has already started. I was um, teaching every night there. And they said, well, we can still bring him in. It's not too late. And I said, call your, your, you know, your leader. And they called the leader. And he said, okay, you can bring him. So I turned again to the guy and I said, do you have any money? And he said, no. I said, no money at all? He said, no money at all. I said, well, what's your name? And he said, promise. And I said, okay, promise. I make you a promise. And I thought, that sounds really strange. And I laughed. And I said something that I didn't filter through my pain, uh, brain. I said, promise I'm going to pay for your DTS. And I stopped and I said, did I just say that? And they all smiled and said, yes, you just said that. And I'm like, heck, how much is the DTS here? And they said, $500. And I thought, whoosh. At least it's cheaper than in Kona, Hawaii. <laughs> but I didn't have $500, right? But I had made a promise, and I said, I keep with my promise. And um, sure enough, George came that very night to the Wyoming base. He um, sat there when I spoke for one and a half hours. It was my great pleasure to teach him for the first time ever. Christian was able to teach him. And a few weeks later, I got uh, an email from the leader of the DTS and said, Promise is doing really well. He has received the gift of tongues. Now he's on the streets and pray, uh, praying and, and talking about the gospel and winning his first people over to Christ. And I thought, what a great investment of my money. What a great chance to invest into people's lives.
You know, you never have a guarantee if it works because they are so rough, these young people. But when it works, nothing can ever stop them. So these are the captives and also the prisoners of our days. And honestly, again, it wasn't so difficult to share the message of Christ to him. He was so ready to see a change in his life. I was only one that kicked that avalanche off, but anyone could have shared the gospel with him and he would have turned to Christ. Talks about the prisoners, those that are caught, and it's actual, the actual prisoners in our world today. I'm sure you have a prison here in Denver area somewhere. And to my shame, I have to say, only once in my life I, have to be in a pr I was in a prison. It was in Haiti. But in so many places in the New Testament, Jesus himself speaks about visiting the prisoners. And so we are to go and talk to the prisoners and release them from darkness. Maybe they are still have to stay in prison, but they are free in their hearts. In Germany, I had a friend. She was in a prison, prison. She believed that she was too big, and so she starved herself to death. Rich girl. She could have, you know, had every food she wanted, and yet she starved herself until one day she was found dead. She was in a prison. Well, then there are prisoners of systems, of worldviews, where women have no value, where there are uh, the untouchables. In India, uh, 300 million people who can't even be touched, have, who have to do the lowest of all jobs. They are caught by a system. People are abused because of their colors, because of the shape of their nose, or the way their teeth come first on the upper or the lower case, and they have a death sentence on their lives. There are a lot of prisoners in our world today. It's just a, a little list and by far, it's not all people that are, um, you know, that are in that list. When we talk about the poor, when we talk about the brokenhearted, the captives and the prisoners. I just shared a few of them that I have met. So what are we supposed to do with them? What does the Bible verse say? We are supposed to preach the good news to them. And we are um, supposed, if I find it. Um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor over them. God still has hope for their lives. No matter what the circumstances are, there is still hope for their lives. And we are the ones to proclaim those good news and the hope over them, the Lord's favor over their lives. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for you to prosper and not to harm. Plans for you to give you hope and a future. And he speaks that over each one of our lives. And he speaks that over the lives of the poor and the captives and the prisoners and the brokenhearted. We have to look at Jesus, how he lived that out. I'm just a normal Christian. I'm a photographer and I am a mom. And I'm trying to live this Bible verses out on an everyday life. And the key for me is a very simple prayer that changed my life. Here am I, Lord, use me. So I want to, yeah. Sometimes a little bit challenging to be married to such an amazing woman. <laughs> when she was in Nigeria, it was just several months ago, you know, and I was getting the reports, and I was looking after the three kids. I was kind of sweating a little bit, but the good thing 
it was that it definitely raised my prayer life, yeah. And uh, so I've learned how to be an intercessor and pray for Susie as she goes into these places that the Lord uh, leads her. This question that Susie asked, uh, or her statement to God, Here, my Lord, use me, is a statement that aligns us with the very heart of God. Jesus, when he came out from the desert, he was in the desert for 40 days fasting. He was a little bit gaunt, and he wandered into Capernaum, and the attendant handed him a scroll, which they unrolled, and they read the reading of the week, which was the reading from Isaiah chapter 61, which Susie just said. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the prisoners free, and to declare that this is the year of God's favor. Amen? Amen. This is the year of God's favor. This goes to the very heart of this season that we are in, um, at, at this part of the year. This goes to the very heart of the Christmas season. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself to proclaim this message. This is the year of God's favor. And it's for you, and it's for you, and it's for everyone. I believe that God has a dream for the world. God has a dream for the nations of the world. God has a dream for these young militants in Nigeria. He didn't create them in their mother's womb to be, to be in this captivity to Satan with cannibalism, all this crazy stuff going on. He made them with a purpose and a destiny and a future and a hope. Amen? He made them with his very imprint and his very image imprinted on their very soul. He made it. It's not God's intention for Paulina Monsi and the Christians in northern Nigeria who, on a weekly basis, people break into their church during worship time, throw bombs in there, or come in with machetes and hack them to pieces. That's not God's intent for them. God's intent for them is to see his gospel springing forth. Amen? Amen. That even in the darkest and the most challenging places we have on the planet Earth, we see that this is his year. Every year is his year for these big issues that we've been talking about, but also for you. But how do we take possession of the fact that this is the year of God's favor. How can we live in the reality and in the dynamic of that? Sometimes, you know, our lives can get on a little bit of a sort of a uh, autopilot. Anybody ever sort of relate to that? And, uh, you know, in missions, we're in missions, but, you know, sometimes I can feel like I'm a little hamster, you know, just on that little um, wheel and just like spinning around. How do we take hold of the reality that today 
is the year of God's favor for me and for the world. I think Susie has given us a really amazing example. Not because she is great, but not because in and of herself, she has great education, comes from a wealthy background, has a large and very long spiritual line. In fact, her and her sister are the first ones to really have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's not any of that. But because she was willing to go and sit with the poor, these AIDS orphans, it was because she was willing to see the pain in her life, missing, uh, having three miscarriages, not as just a negative thing, but as something that God can redeem. Amen? God can redeem everything in our lives. It says in this old gospel hymn, something, something beautiful, something good, all my confusions, he understood. All I have to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. Amen? God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but he can turn it around and redeem it. Yeah? And it was redeemed and ministering to this woman here who was broken hearted. It was just her willingness to go to. Now, I didn't know she went to that place in Nigeria, Okrika, you know. And actually, the YWAMers there were freaked out when they heard that she went there. They said, you did what? You know, are you crazy? Um, but she was on a mission. She's very difficult to stop when she's on her mission. <laughs> Something that I have realized. And now, uh, 10 years of uh, marriage, they have been very exciting. Um, and more often than not, I have the great pleasure of staying in Hawaii and sending her out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, anyway, sometimes it could be easier being there. But she was willing to go to that place and just say, you know what? You can change. You don't have to live this rotten life you're living. You can make a difference. God can make a difference in you. And immediately, a new life was restored for God. That is the year of God's favor on Promise's life, on George's life. You know, this young guy, you know, he was involved in cannibalism and all this black magic and all the rest. Today, he walks around proudly with a Bible under his arm, and he reads it like my son reads in first grade. But he's so proud. Because, you know, he is learning about God. So I really want to encourage you. Susie's story is not about a great person who's done great things. It's about just stepping out. Breaking the inertia that can so easily keep us on our little hamster wheel. Ooh, you know, and we're just there just spinning it around. We break out of that and we can break through when we hear the voice of God, and we can actually engage our lives to make a difference. But what practically can we do? You know, sometimes hearing these big statistics, it's like, whoa, there's a whole lot of people in this world, and how do you start to reach out and make a difference in their lives? I want to give you three simple things. First of all, we can pray. Prayer is not overrated. Prayer changes situations. When we pray, we work with God to see His will and His plan revealed on the earth. 
It's this transaction as our will and our mind is in alignment with His. As we pray, it has power and it can change lives. We were in our um, living room with our leaders praying about the 16.6 million AIDS orphans on the planet. And we said, Lord, what can we do? And we felt the Lord say, well, Susie and the team should go to Swaziland and South Africa and actually try and meet some of them and see how we can serve. So we began to plan. In prayer, we felt the Lord say, go. Now, at the very the same time, there was a poor man in Swaziland, and he had a prayer. He said, help, Lord. <laughs> he was a man that lived on less than $4 a day, and he had a family of six kids. And all of a sudden, he realized that there were all these other AIDS orphans around. So he adopted eight more into his family. His prayer was, help, Lord. <laughs> you know, you've got to help. And you know what? The team that Susie led from Germany came and was the answer to that prayer. And now this whole family, this little family-based orphanage, are being looked after. It started in prayer. And sometimes we can be the answer to the prayers we pray. So the first thing we can do is pray. Prayer changes things. You know, our whole ministry kicked off with this prayer booklet. And uh, at the time, we thought, man, this is crazy. Um, we felt the Lord tell us to print 100,000 of these and to get them around the world. And I, I got the 100,000 numbers. Susie got 10,000. <laughs> I get the larger numbers, and uh, I like large numbers. But uh, I, when I saw the reality of what that meant, I was like, "Woo! there's a lot of booklets to get out, a lot of people to call for prayer. But God does amazing things. This, we've got about 100,000 of these around the world, probably more like 120 now. It's translated in 10 different languages, roundabout, um, all over the world. And uh, as people have started to pray, things have changed, and things continue to change. Secondly, we can give. You know, this is like Julia Roberts, like pray, eat, love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you pray, give, go. Second one, give. Give is, giving is at the very core and the very heart of Christianity. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave. Aren't you happy that He gave? He gave His most precious thing. That whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The heart of Christianity is giving, is generosity. And as we give, and as we learn how to give of ourselves, and it's not just finances, it includes finances, but it's of the things that are precious to us. God can use that to multiply it. And this is what I love about God. He works off of mathematics. He's a multiplier. <laughs> he doesn't just do addition. He works on multiplication. And really, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of the kingdom. As we give, and as we give freely, He multiplies it. So Susie, she returned to Germany, and um, she said, you know what, this has to come from me. So she rifled through all her drawers, and she saw, now, the part of Germany she comes from, you know, they're sort of known as being a little bit, should we say it, like frugal. <laughs> they have a passion for saving. And Susie also was like that. So... All the money she was given from her birthday, she was like saving, like ferreting it up. 
for a time and a season. And so she saw this and she thought, oh, there's about $500 there. I'll give this to Promise so he can do his DTS. And you know what? God took that and multiplied it. And right now we have 10 more militants like Promise now going through the discipleship training programs. Isn't that awesome? They're all learning to be evangelists. They're all learning how to serve. They're all learning how to love because God works off of multiplication. Amen? And, uh, and we have a real passion to see every single one of these militants put through this training, DTS, literacy uh, training, as well as, um, as, well as a nine-month um, intensive Bible study. And when they come through this program, they are changed and redeemed. You know, when you look at the war that's in the world, and sometimes it's like, hey, what do you do? Why do you change the situation one person at a time? And so we are really passionate and keen to see this program take off. Very effective. And for just 1500 bucks, you can put someone through this whole program and see a changed life. And so we're believing for multiplication for that. Thirdly, we can go. Jesus says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all creatures. Um, what about going? Going is simply a change of location. We go from one place to the next. It's not defined where we go. You know, we often have to think, well, we have to go then around the world. I don't have a calling to be mission or a missionary. But we're all called to go. Going is a change of location. It enables us to engage with other people out of our comfort zone. You see that? Because if we're in our normal routines, life is just kind of cool and it's just sort of clicking over. But when we step out of our normal life and actually go to someone else, we're in a place of vulnerability. You see that? And when we're in a place of vulnerability, then we can come and minister to people at their point of need. Because we're not coming from top down. We're coming and saying, we love you. And people feel that. And so that's been Susie's secret, you know, source of her mission uh, career. It's going places. And now her, her going is global because that's her calling. Not all of us have a global call. We have a calling to our community. We have a calling to our area. But we can still go to people who are poor, brokenhearted, prisoners, people who need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing that enables us to bring in the year of God's favor is making those steps of faith and obedience. Amen? Amen. And don't discount it if you feel like you've only just got something really little. Mark chapter 6, and I want to leave you with this story. Mark chapter 6, the disciples are mad at Jesus, my interpretation of this particular passage. They had just been on their short-term mission outreach. They had all come back, and there were so many people coming and going, it said, that they didn't even have a chance to eat. And so Jesus said, you know, he recognized they were exhausted and burned out. He said, come away with me. So they went away, and when they landed at the place, there was a whole crowd. And you know what? Jesus began to talk and talk and talk all day long. And it was getting close to evening. His disciples were like, it's already very late. <laughs> Send the people away. They were, they were mad. And Jesus looked at them and said, no, you. I want you to send them away. I want you to feed them. 
I want you to feed them. Because they had said so that they could go, go buy something to eat. So they found a couple, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. Broke the bread. And you know what? He did a great miracle that day. But you know who did the great miracle? It wasn't really Jesus. He took the bread. He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks for it. And he gave it to the disciples. And you know what the disciples did? It was their job to feed this massive crowd. Sometimes you feel a little bit like that. I just have a couple little loaves and fish. You know how much of a loaf they had? There's 12 disciples and five loaves. That's 40% of a loaf of bread. That's like this much. And there were two fish among 12, which is about 15% of a fish. <laughs> how would you feel? Like? And Jesus is like, go feed the people. <laughs> okay, thank you. Who would, who would have loved to have been a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yeah, right there and then. Oh, man, that would have been challenging. But, but we have little loaves and fish. But the Lord says to us, go. Bring in the year of the Lord's favor. Amen? Amen? Go and do it. And as you go and do, I will work with you. And I'll be with you. So don't despise the th if you feel like you've just got a little thing. We all only have little things. Amen? We all only have little loaves and little fishes in our hands. But God can use that, and He multiplies it for His glory. Amen? Just want to end. I've got one more minute here. I just want to end by praying. I'd just like for you, if you'd like to respond to this call, it's a call to engagement today as we say, we realize that we're living in the year of the Lord's favor. We realize that today is the day. And if you want to say, yeah, I want to step out. I, I have just a little loaves and fish, I, but I want to step out. I want to do something. I just invite you to stand. Just stand to your feet now. And let's pray together, committing ourselves to God, that we will walk um, with His perspective on what He has given us. So let's just stand and, and we'll pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank You for my friends here in Jubilee Fellowship Church. What a blessing, Lord God, to be partnered with this congregation. And Father God, I thank You for everyone who is standing. Lord, they're standing because they're responding to You. They're saying, here I am, Lord. Use me. Use me. And Father God, I pray that You would encourage them that you would show them that they are a crucial part of your plan being worked out in our world. And so I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a special opportunity this weekend to do exactly what Paul just talked about. Some of you, you may hear that message and there's something stirs inside of you. It did with me many, many years ago. I went off to YWAM because the Lord in a similar situation just did something inside of me and said, you know what? You got to go. More than just go home, you got to go. Go to the nations. We actually have people in this church that have gone. They've actually taken part in Paul and Susie's ministry and see some amazing fruit from that. 
So if you feel that there's this encouragement inside of you, there's something stirring that says go, not necessarily go to YWAM or go with Paul and Susie, you need to answer that call. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit and how he's encouraging you. If you want to talk to somebody, Paul and Susie are actually going to be out in the foyer at the end of the message, the end of the worship, to be able to just talk with you through that. What does that mean? What could that look like? You also, all of us, have an opportunity to pray. We have an opportunity to pray for the nations. We have an opportunity to pray for what God wants to do in our communities, in our families, in this world, through their ministry. We have a responsibility to pray and believe that through our prayer, God can do amazing things. He does amazing things through prayer. We also have a special opportunity to give. I specifically want to point out this fact. Paul and Susie, God has given them a very amazing, a very valuable, a very effective ministry for the nations. The stories that we heard Susie talk about are just a small sliver of what God is doing through their ministry in the world. They've answered the call to go. Now, some of you might feel relieved that you're like, okay, God's not telling me to go. Good. You can give. We live in a nation, in fact, we live in a city in a nation that is extremely well-blessed. We live in a very affluent place where the thought of living on $1 a day is just absurd. What I want to encourage you is this. Would you ask the Lord if there's a way that you could partner financially with what God is doing through Voice for the Voiceless, the ministry that he has and that he's doing through Paul and Susie? We want to send them home blessed. Traditionally, we have ministry, uh, we have missionaries come and they'll take a few minutes, 10 minutes at the beginning of a service, and we'll send them home blessed. We want to send Paul and Susie home abundantly blessed this weekend. And we want you to take part in that. So we're going to go into a response time here. We're going to have communion like we normally have. We're going to have crosses. We're going to have candles. We're going to have people in the back for prayer. But here's what I would specifically like to ask you. As you go out and you respond to those areas, would you pray and ask the Lord if he wants you to partner financially with what they're doing. If he does, you guys can just drop your checks off in the offering boxes on your way out, above and beyond your tithes. Just put their name in the memo. Paul, Susie, Childers, YWAM, any of that kind of stuff. We'll all get to them. If you have cash that you want to give them, we have envelopes. You could put their names on that too and drop in the offering boxes. But here's the cool thing. God is a God who multiplies. This is more than just about money. This is about what God can do with that to go and influence lives. We heard a story about God taking $500 that Susie gave to promise. And now there's 11 people that have been touched by that small amount of money. How many of us just spent $500 on Black Friday on things we don't need? What an amazing deal. So would you pray? Would you seek the Lord and ask him Is there a way for you to partner? So let's just pray really quickly. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity. Father, I thank you that your spirit of life is moving freely through this world and that we get to experience just a small snippet of what's happening, Lord, in the the nations because your spirit is alive and it's active 
and we want to be a part of it, God. So whether we go or pray or we give, we ask, Lord, that you would just encourage, that you would speak to us and give us your direction in that. We're here and we listen, Lord. We're listening to your spirit. We love you. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Would you guys respond?